Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Playdate. We are so happy to have you here joining us. We also have another amazing guest uh, joining us today. Haley St. James is here to discuss their plays. Haley, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. So a little brief introduction to the incredible theater maker that is Haley St. James. Um, They are a Boston-born, New York and Boston-based, early career playwright, lyricist in training, dramaturg, and occasional performer and assistant director. A non-binary pansexual on the autism spectrum, they are deeply passionate about seeing themselves and their communities represented truthfully in all media, theater first and foremost. In their theatrical work, they strive to marry authentic representation with hyper-theatrical, surreal, meta, and intimate twists. They also have a thing for imaginary friends, ghosts, aliens, and well-handled pop culture references, (laughs) many of which are in the play that we are focusing on today, which I love. It is awesome. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I did not know that you were Boston-born and partially Boston-based. Mass holes, yeah. what's up? Mass holes unite. <laughs> yeah, mass holes, let's go. Yeah, no, I'm originally <laughs> from, um, I'm from Newton, Massachusetts, right outside oh, nice. Boston. Um, born and raised there. Uh, went to, you know, a little Newton South High School. Uh, you know, the famous high school that also gave us John Krasinski and B.J. Novak. That's um, right. And Hari Neff, who is a grade above me. Uh, we did speech debate team together we're on a couple shows i'm very proud of her she is amazing i love her shout out to harry neff a legend uh yeah yeah no uh i i love i love my hometown i'm very proud of being from newton um i i do get a little homesick but no I, i currently am in brooklyn new york and it is where i will be for the well at least next year we shall see what happens (laughs) Uh, i've been here i've been in new york for about I went. I was uh, about five years now, um, which is crazy. It feels a lot longer. But I've been coming to New York for a long time as a theater goer. But um, I moved here for college. Well, part part of college, and uh, it's just yeah. I had to only go home back to Boston very briefly during the pandemic. That is awesome. (laughs) But I'm back, and I've been back for a year. Well, we are so excited to be talking about a god awful small affair with you today um and figured we'd get things started with some trivia julia do you want to kick us off today sure so um this play obviously focuses on some david bowie awesomeness um (laughs) so i thought i'd go with the theme of david bowie for my question um what is julia's favorite david bowie song we have a starman b golden years C, let's dance, or D, let's spend the night together. I'm going to go, I don't know if I should trust my gut or if I should trust my second answer, because my second answer seems better, but everybody says <laughs> trust your gut. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with D, let's spend the night together. Okay, noted. What, what do you think, Haley? I'm going with Starman, but I don't know. I mean, they're all, all great options. A Golden Years is from my favorite Bowie album, so... Mm. Because mm, I love Station to Station, that is my favorite Bowie album. You know what? Screw it. I'm, I'm going with I'm going with Golden Years. You know what? All right. Well, Haley, you are correct. Though. Oh, that was my gut. <laughs> oh, that was my gut choice, and I didn't pick it. 
I'm I'm like man. like quote unquote dancer first, and I like genuinely love dancing to that song. So that's I that's why it kind of rises to the top because whenever I'm just in a mood to like improv and dance around my room, like it's just the go to. Oh, you know? that's a great choice. Oh, it's also in A Knight's Tale, and I'm a sucker for that movie. So yeah, oh are. my god, taste excellent <laughs> film. Rest in peace, Heath Ledger. Oh my gosh, rest in peace, Heath Ledger. I'm so pissed I didn't go with my gut. Okay, I'll learn next right. time. But your gut was correct, so you can you know now you can always trust your gut. I guess. <laughs> so Haley, do you want to pop in with your question? Ooh, like about myself? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, this will be fun. Okay, this is just about music fandom in general. So a thing with me is, yes, I love David Bowie. David Bowie is my favorite just solo artist of all time. But if you know me, if you've been following <laughs> me on the socials, uh, you will very well know that my favorite band and music artist in general is Coldplay. Yeah. They've been my favorite band since I was 13 years old. Past year has been absolutely crazy. Um, I did just come back from London and I did see them at Wembley a couple of times, including on my birthday, which was so cool. best. <laughs> um, but my question for you guys is how many times have I seen Coldplay live in the past Ooh. 365 days? Oh my god. Um, okay. And it's only, I'm gonna, do I have to do it? Does it have to be like, so it's multiple choice. Okay. Let's see. Have I seen them? You don't have to have them? four answers. Okay, I'll give you, you guys... Okay, three is good. Okay. Have I seen them A, 11 times, B, 14 times, C, 15 times? I'm going to go big or go home and guess 15. I'm also <laughs> going to guess 15. It's my favorite number. <laughs> <laughs> you... Oof, you guys are right. <laughs> yes! Yeah! That's crazy. That is... That's, that is impressive. It's it's crazy. I mean, actually, I mean, in the past 365 days, I do include last spring, weirdly enough, just because it's been, it's a lot. Um, but basically between um, getting my first COVID vaccine until just a few weeks ago, I have seen Coldplay 15 times live in some capacity. Um, two of those were TV tapings, um, and two of them were... Uh, secret secret gigs slash intimate uh like you know invite only concerts and then a bunch of them were tours uh we're on tour with the music of the spheres tour uh, six times in the united states uh four times in london oh my gosh that's so cool whenever i'm in a bad mood i put on their like npr tiny desk concert because it's just it's so good i love their tiny desk concert it's one of my favorites is just chris and johnny in the choir and oh it's amazing as soon as they started singing prince i was like all right incredible (sighs) yes 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 coldplay need to do more covers not on their albums but like just in general yeah Yeah. and i watch the game of thrones video when i need a laugh because that is thank you (laughs) coldplay's game of thrones the musical is my favorite video of all time Ever that and um that and the Into the Woods YouTube poop, those are my two favorite videos oh. if you need to know anything about my sense of humor. Classic. <laughs> I lo- I I don't know if it's a part of that, but that edit that someone did that was like, um, my name is Wood. I go to I wood. wood. I have oh my God, no it's, wood. Um, I have no wood, no no one should. Yes, that is that is Woods uh by Death Things, my favorite uh, YouTube poop artist. That is that video is just my favorite thing in the world. Yes. I love it. I, yes, yes. I do feel like we watched that video together, Julia. At oh, we some definitely point, did. Like many times. 
like our freshman year of college. I wish my son were not my son. <laughs> not my son. <laughs> I wish my son were not my son. I wish. I wish my. Ca- yeah, yes, it's so, so good. funny. I have, now I'm so gonna have good. to watch that tonight. Yep. Oh, that's so funny. It's, it's great. They actually they re-uploaded it with some new jokes, and they made a sequel. Oh so my gosh, I, will say, I have to watch it. Because the, the original one is just Act 1. They made a second one called Wouldn't, which is Act 2. Um, and it's great. I love that. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. They have to do it now with the new Into the Woods cast. Honestly, right. I mean, if they make a pro shot of this cast, well, granted, the original of the... Well, there's been... I've, I mean, I've seen... I saw Cindy Center and the first cast. I've yet to see the new batch. Oh, but, I'm so jealous. I'm I know. Oh, oh it's great. God. It's great. We love Into the Woods. In this I haven't house. been able to see like we a Broadway show since I I saw Beetlejuice right before it it closed. And oh, I, well, I mean, it reopened. Anything. I was literally just I there know. last night. Wow, Julia, that's the last show you've seen. I know, right? Like, I lived in New York for a whole year, and I did not. I because I was seeing a lot of small stuff. I was seeing a lot of good. things for work. But um, good, good. See the small stuff. Yeah. I, I honestly think all yeah. the best theater is off Broadway. Yeah, oh, totally. I got to I see a lot of like concerts and cabarets, and it it was really lovely. But I I am itching to see a Broadway show. It's been yeah. it's been too long. I don't remember Good. what my last show was, but I think it was Slave mm. Play. Oh, yes, yes. also an excellent choice. Ooh, yes, yeah. and also a big influence on this play. Oh, really? A little bit, but you know, a little bit. I was bit. supposed um, to see Slave Play, and then things fell through, and it was heartbreaking. But yeah, mm-hmm. oh, you we know, got we got free tickets to go see it, and. We sat in like the third row. It was mm. crazy in like wow. the center section of the third row. It was Incredible. nuts. Wow. Yeah, I was like in the was mezzanine like, for that. Yeah, it was like part of the extension, which is mm-hmm. also crazy because I have been in that theater so many times in my life. For somebody who like didn't live in New York City for that long, like I've yeah, seen the more golden. shows, more shows in that theater than any other theater. It's nuts. Wow. Yeah. Not so McGee. I'll be moving back so soon, so I'll be able to go please, catch something. Yeah, please see stuff with me. Yes, let's. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yes. I need to see Little Shop, and I saw that you on oh. Facebook you were planning to. So it, I it's love. Gonna yeah, I, I go got see to see it. it. Um, I just saw. Uh, I saw. I got to see Rob and Christian together before Christian left. But I will be back when um when uh, Bryce Pinkham joins as the dentist because I love yes. this. We'll we'll go then because it's my like I'm. I'm the biggest Howard Ashman fan yes. in the world, probably, and like you haven't met my friend Gigi, but okay. <laughs> now I need to meet Gigi if Gigi is a Howard Gigi Ashman is fan. one of my best friends, and she loves Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. Like Alan Menken is her hero. It's just so wholesome. Oh my gosh, incredible! Well, Little Shop is like in my top three favorite musicals, and the fact that it's off Broadway where it should be just makes me yes. thrilled. So I need to go. Perfect. I need to go see it. Yes, please do. <laughs> So, Katie, take us home with your final trivia question. Yeah, you got it. Um, there is a hilarious reference to Freddie Mercury at the beginning of this play. <laughs> it's so <laughs> good. It's so good. <laughs> it was very catty. It's so funny. I love it. It's um, catty but warranted, and I love yeah, it. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It really is. So I, um, so I wanted to put my question uh, queen-themed. Um, so what is my favorite mm-hmm. queen song? Your choices are Don't Stop Me Now. We are the champions. Another one bites the dust, and crazy little thing called love. Oh, now crazy little thing called love is going to be stuck in my head because we had to play that for it's marching band, song. and it it never leaves. <laughs> Good Once marching it's in there, band it never leaves. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm going to guess "Don't Stop Me Now" because it's also my favorite. Okay. The Good Omens fan in me is going with "Don't Stop Me Now." I'm. I mean. Also, all Queen is great. Um, I do love uh-huh. Queen very oh my much. God, uh, but my, my favorite, my favorite Queen song is um, "The Show Must Go On." Oh, but um, wow. out of out of 
out of these, I'm going with um, Don't Stop Me Now. All right. Um, you are both incorrect, but no! I thank you so much for your, your, your answers. <laughs> um, it, that is a great song. And let's be clear, Queen is fantastic. Yes. And all of these are, like, amazing songs. Um, mm-hmm. But my favorite song is We Are the Champions. You know that oh, I, was not, I was not a varsity athlete and not hmm. a theater major to not love We Are the Champions. <laughs> let's be clear. Mm. They make they make references to taking bows and curtain calls. And then, you know, We Are the Champions is just, like, so petty, like, of a line <laughs> to sing in somebody's face who's, like, not a winner. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a classic. It's, a it's classic. just really good. So I'm definitely going with that one. So let's talk a little bit. First, we'll give kind of a brief play summary uh, before mm-hmm. we hop into the interview portion of this episode. Um, so the best way I, I can describe this is there is a god-awful small affair between some neighbors during like the early, early years of the pandemic. Um, which the fact that we have to say early years I know, of the pandemic like hurts. It's early <laughs> months, but yeah. Yeah, early yeah. months. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, like, full lockdown era of pandemic. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. And one of the characters, Luca, is, like, BFFs with space alien visiting Earth David Bowie. Is that a good way to describe it? Close. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure I describe him as, like, an alien angel ghost type thing. Um, I usually Mm. bill this as um, the ghost of David Bowie is the fourth character in this play. Um. So, yeah, he's, he's more of a ghost, but yes, more he's also ghost. an alien. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because he talks about his planet, so I think my brain just, like, yeah. hyperfixated on He's the... an alien. <laughs> I mean, he's an alien and he's a ghost, so yeah. Perfect. So, alien ghost David Bowie is kind of the unofficial roommate of Luca, because it's it's yes. mainly on Luca's side. But then, later, Jody starts to have some, some Bowie encounters as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Haven't we all? <laughs> <sighs> so true. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I watch The Prestige, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's in this. <laughs> Him is Tesla. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's, like, the coolest scene in the whole movie, too, visually. Yes, it's it incredible. is. incredible. That, that, that is the reason why that's my favorite Christopher Nolan. Like, the fact Bowie is there as Nikola Tesla is just like, okay, yeah, this is the best Nolan movie. It's so good. It's my favorite plot twist I've ever... I'm also a magician's kid, so that, like, adds to it, yeah. but... Like, take a shot. <laughs> take a shot every time Julia mentions that she was a ju- magician's assistant. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's more how many how many times my room, but... how many times have I heard that used in an icebreaker with a group of strangers? Because um, what do I say? I either say I own ducks or I was a magician's assistant. Like that's exactly what you say. It's one of those. Those are both places. excellent trivia things, and I love it. <laughs> Tell us what kind of led you to becoming a playwright like what awakened that in you oh okay that's always fun so I've always like theater's been my life since I was four um and I've always loved I mean I always loved performing um but there was a point I'd say when I first started college um my first two years of college were at Drew University in Madison New Jersey and I was deeply deeply unhappy it was the wrong school for me wrong fit I really didn't have like any friends maybe like two friends um just the, de- the theater department was not really what I wanted, and I was just so miserable. 
and it was just not a good time for me, but New York City was only about an hour away on New Jersey Transit, so mm -hmm. if I was sad or not doing super great on a weekend, I would, after finishing all my homework, because I would do my homework immediately just to get it done, work as hard as I could, just so I could, like, okay, I have weekends off, I can go see theater, so I would do that, uh, but spring break 2015, one of the worst mental health just times of my life. Everything was really bad. I was just at the, my lowest point, one of the lowest points in my entire life. And I impulse bought a ticket to the first preview of a new musical starting on Broadway with no pre-Broadway tryout called Something Rotten. And I knew nothing about this show other than, oh, hey, Christian Borle and Brian Darcy James are in it. Oh, it's about Shakespeare. This sounds fun. Okay. I know nothing other about it. Okay. I'll go see it. The ticket was $15. Okay. Um, I, I sit down in the theater and that show quite literally saved my life. And this is a show that is, if you don't know the musical Something Rotten, is about two brothers who are rivals with William Shakespeare. And they are playwrights. And, uh, the older brother, Nick, uh, meets a soothsayer, and he pays him to tell him what the future of theater will be. And the future of theater is musicals! And uh, Nick and his brother Nigel um, end up creating the world's first musical, which is um, not Hamlet, it is Omelet. Uh, so it is all egg <laughs> puns and um, lots of ridiculous musical theater references. Meanwhile, Shakespeare is out there being a cocky, sh you know, cocky <laughs> bastard rock star and um, stealing everybody's ideas. And Nigel, who is just played by the wonderful playwright John Cariani, um, just wants to follow his heart and write his own story and be true to himself. And this show literally <laughs> saved my life in every possible way. It was the first Broadway musical I really felt like, ah, yes, this is my home, this is my safe space, this is my family. I can come rush it and see it whenever I'm feeling sad, and this cast and this theater will always look out for me. I named myself after the St. James Theater. Uh, St. James is not my legal last name, and I will not be saying what my legal last name is, uh, but uh, the St. James became my home, Something Rotten became my home, and John Cariani, who is a playwright of the incredible, most produced play in American high schools, Almost Maine, became my mentor. And uh, this show is what made me realize, hey, I want to do that. I want to be like Nigel. I want to write for the stage. And so my last, my, my second year at Drew, I took playwriting. I, I wrote a 20-minute play that was a stoner parody of Hamlet that was not particularly great, but it was kind of funny. Um, and, you know, you know, end of the semester showcase, the students did it and people laughed and said it was good. And I was like, okay, so I'm leaving this school and I'm going to go to another school and that's what I think I'm going to focus on. I think I want to be a playwright. And so uh, I transferred to Marymount Manhattan and I got my degree in writing for the stage. And then the pandemic happened. The beautiful oh. pandemic. That's yes. like such a crazy cool story, though. That, that, yeah, that's yeah, nuts. That's, that's insane. That's like <sighs> the ultimate like superhero origin story, right there. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, and the weird thing. Oh, go ahead. You go. You, go you know, ahead. the weird thing is the pandemic became kind of like the oddly the best sort of writer's retreat. At least the first year of the pandemic really became that for me, because I got I wrote this play. I wrote my other full length, um, Fort Leonore Our Companions, which, um, well, I wrote that, oh, well, that was my, uh, I wrote that while I was in college, but it got its first reading through Pride Plays, um, that Michael Yuri produced, um, that was done virtually, which was like huge. Like my first thing out of college. I, uh, like, and I wrote so much that first year. Like I had nowhere to go. I didn't have, I lost my job. So I just stayed in and wrote. 
I wrote so much, and, like, I know, like, the pandemic was hard for so many people, and it was so hard for me, but God, that, that, that initial, like, 10 months, 10 to 12 months of just straight creativity, I miss it. I miss it so much, but I will never take that time for granted. I, I am so proud of what writing burst forth from my head, fully formed, like Athena from the head of Zeus. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, I also feel like the pandemic really was this this really such an interesting time to to do some self reflection, sort of about like you know looking back on it. I think we all kind of see it in this like I don't want to say nostalgic light, but this light of like things will never be like that again. And it's yeah. interesting to look back on that and to think about how we all hand like did separate things with that and how we utilized that and how we all got through that. Like, yeah. we found a way, like, to survive through a pandemic, and that's so fascinating when there's, you know, really, since the dawn of technology and, you know, like, current news cycle, 24-hour news cycles, like, it's been so, so interesting to see how it's changed over the past, like, 100 years from our last major pandemic. Yeah. And, um, and especially as artists, like, the things that, that kind of came out of that, the good and the bad, are just a really interesting thing to look back on. Yeah, I think I think about all the time how like people are like, oh, Shakespeare wrote King Lear in quarantine. I mean, and I mean, I think so much great art is has come out of the pandemic. Um, I mean, Zoom theater, I mean, has wonderfully served its purpose. Um, and honestly, Absolutely. I think virtual theater is now going to have its own incredible renaissance because of this. And I love it. Yeah. Um, so are like, you know, like virtual auditions, virtual auditions you know, and, and the way just, that, that has sort of expanded. Yeah. Um, and I just think in general, like having to like spend time with ourselves alone for so long like has really gave us a lot all time to like really think about our lives and just think about what we can do differently going forward and just kind of rethinking who we are as humans and applying that to what we do in our fields and i i mean it changed me a lot as a person like as a theater like as like you know before the pandemic i was like i was seeing so much theater i was stage dooring i was i was networking i was i mean i was just always i was the theater kid i was that person going to broadway con every year i was doing all the theater kid stuff i you know i i saw i repeat attended everything and after the after everything locked down i really sat down and was like ah i guess the theater is my life but i think I had a, such a toxic dependability and having to be at every show and doing things over and over and over and just focusing on myself and my writing for a while and just not having to worry about being at a show every single night, I think really rewired my brain in a really healthy way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so, you know, um, I guess, you know, sort of going, going in a sort of different direction here. Um, do you mm -hmm. have any sort of like major influences past the ones that have already been uh, named um, in your playwriting journey um, and sort of your discovery of your voice? Ooh, yeah. I mean, well, obviously John Cariami is my mentor and my dearest, dearest friend and the person I look for, you know, to for advice and everything. He is just the way, I mean, for me, Almost Main is just to me such a perfectly calibrated play. Yeah. Like, it's the magical realism for me. Everything about that play works there's a reason why it is so beloved and so produced and so and usually done so well um one of the last shows i saw before everything shut down was um they did it up at portland stage um in maine and in portland and john was in it and it was an all-adult cast it was only four people as it usually is traditionally staged 
Because, um, you know, so many high schools do it. So, like, you see tons and tons of kids doing it. So it's like, a really big cast. But yeah. seeing it with four people playing all the roles, including, you know, John Cariani, who was the, oh, he was the playwright, getting to play a bunch of these roles. There's just something so special about seeing a playwright perform their own work. Yeah. I don't really usually do that, um, except in very rare circumstances. Um, but getting to see that play, which I love so much, done so perfectly with John, was just so magical. And just, as I say, the, the way that play is written, how every scene just, I mean, it's all, each scene kind of stands alone, but they all are still kind of tied together. But just the way every little reveal with how the magical realism each scene works is just so delightful and special. And the relationships are so lovely. And honestly, John is a rare writer where he also um, did a young adult novel adaptation and actually fleshed out a lot of the characters and the world and the town of Almost Maine. There's even an extra story in the novel, which y'all should read because it's great, um, that uh, is just really sweet and lovely and he low-key dedicated to me, which is crazy. Um, I won't really spoil it, but I will say uh, thanks for the non-binary rep, John. Um, (laughs) But it's just... ah, I love that play so much. It's perfect. Um, but some of my other favorite writers, um, I'm a big, big Paula Vogel fan. Yes. Uh, Indecent is Love one of my Paula favorite. Vogel. I think Indecent's probably my second favorite. Like, it's probably my favorite play of all time, if not my second favorite play, because I just love almost means so much on just a craft level. Um, but Indecent is perfect. Um, I it's saw so it good. Broadway, saw the pro shot. Um, I've been the summer- to see it live. Oh I saw the summer youth theater that I've done some dramaturgy for in the past uh, two years did it this summer. And getting to see it with high schoolers and college students like the fact that the show still works with young people makes me so happy it's so cool that, that it... they're getting exposed to it at that age mm-hmm. too like a piece like that is so just transforming and in, in what yep. it tackles and how it tackles it and it makes you curious about history and it's really it's really beautiful i i love theater about theater um it's one yeah. of my just, you know, just something I love. I love meta art, meta art in general, art about the art has just always been something that appeals to me. But just the way Paula writes about these people and the, the story of this play, it is literally the story of the play and how it changed people's lives. And I just think that's so beautiful. You can write a play about a play and it's just, oh, it's brilliant. It's genius. The fact that it didn't win best play that season still makes me mad. That's insane. That's Nothing against Oslo. Insane. Oslo's cool. Uh, but no, uh, Indecent was amazing. And I'm so happy it's gotten a nice, you know, life in regional theaters. And Absolutely, oh, it's great. Yeah. And there's a pro shot on Broadway HD that y'all should watch if y'all haven't watched. Definitely going to. I love the um, album for it as well. Like, the album it, is lovely. It's yes. so good. It's so good oh, if you're going Klesmer. on a road trip. Play the indecent. Blast that plasmer. Let's go. I'm going on a road trip on Sunday. Maybe I'll. (gasps) Yes, do it, Katie. Excellent, excellent choice. Um, so to kind of like bounce off of that as well, what since this is a pandemic piece, what media were you especially drawn to during the early years of the pandemic? You talk about Coldplay, but like, are there any other like movies or you talk about Jojo Rabbit in the play? Yes, Jojo Rabbit is well is is my favorite movie. Um. Because it came out right before the pandemic and, like, during that Oscar season, um, I, I saw that movie in theaters, like, four or five times um, just because it, it kind of is everything I love about a movie. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me feel. Taika Waititi is a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a brilliant satire. It's it's kind of like Mel Brooks meets Wes Anderson. So it's, like, a lot of my favorite just types of movie making. Um 
it's just so, so great. But also since it was Oscar season, there were a lot of uh, Q&A events with Taika that I went to because I was like, oh, hey, I can see the movie again and Taika's there. That's fun. Um, this was obviously Taika pre-Gay uh, pre, um, Pirate Show. I mean, and I love Gay Pirate Show. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jojo Rabbit is just so magical and brilliant and heartbreaking. And oh, I'm so happy he won that uh, screenplay Oscar. He's such a good writer. Yeah. Um, but I just, I mean, during the pandemic for me, like, the big thing was um, right when everything, like, right before everything was shutting down, I was like, I want to write a role for Lucas Steele. So mm. I'm getting into the Bowie stuff now. So I got into Bowie, like, Bowie and Kate Bush were, like, probably the two most streamed artists that weren't Coldplay during the first year of the pandemic. Um, but around the time, like, right before everything shut down, um, the show I was repeat attending and kind of doing social stuff for was a little off-Broadway musical called Emoji Land, uh, which is amazing. And whenever they release that, uh, this, the version of the tour that they filmed, and whenever that comes out, please watch it. I don't know when it's coming, but it'll come. Um, Can't but wait this, to see that. It's, it's, I love that show so much. It is so smart. It is so brilliant. It is better than any show about emojis has any right to be. Um, but that show is actually peak uh, pandemic material because it's actually a show that is about a community that is dealing with xenophobia and just all sorts of things. And then, of course, there is a virus that threatens to wipe out the entire community. And it's about how this community stays together, but also just fighting just, you know, just a lot of our worst urges and trying to just be good to each other. It's just such a brilliant, smart, smart musical. Cast album, please go stream it. It's yeah, great. Yeah, but... that's also just, like, a really important message to be sending in the middle mm -hmm. of the pandemic, you yeah. know? Absolutely. Uh, but Lucas Steele, who was Anatole and Natasha Pierre in The Great Incredible. Comedy of 1812, <laughs> and, like, my non-binary awakening, like, seeing that man as Anatole made me realize a lot of things about myself. Um, but I remember when I saw Emoji Land, the first preview... I was like, one, I need a cosplayer character. Did that in about two weeks. Very fast. I miss doing that. I miss just cosplaying. Uh, but I, I literally saw him from like, oh my god, he needs to play David Bowie. Do I have to write him this role myself? So I, I sort of started tinkering with the idea, hey, maybe I should write this sort of thing about the ghost of David Bowie and Lucas Steele can play it. So that's kind of where, like, the origin... <laughs> the Mojulin is the reason I wrote this play. Because um, Lucas Steele just is such a muse for me. And Bowie, too, of course. Um, I watched pretty much everything Bowie has ever been in. I listened to pretty much his entire discography. And I just fell so in love with him as an artist. And just as a muse. And just that man has gender goals. And, ah, uh, everything... Just such a brilliant, brilliant artist and human. And God, when um, Moon Age Daydream, the new documentary, comes out, God, I wish that documentary came out when I was writing this play. Um, but I got to see a marketing screening for it, and it is just phenomenal. See it on the biggest screen possible. See it in IMAX. It's incredible. Um, oh, that is amazing. It's so great. But I was like, I need to write this for, for Lucas. I want Lucas to play Bowie, and that's kind of where this all came from, because I listened to a absolute ridiculous amount of David Bowie at the very beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> well, I, I kind of want to bounce to a different question that I had um, just yeah. about the play um, yeah. that is regarding Bowie's character, actually, because um, there's a moment in um, 
in this play where uh, Bowie pretty much says that communication on their planet is music. And there's this yeah. whole conversation about um, <laughs> yeah. the way that music is interpreted as language on that planet. And so I just sort of mm-hmm. wanted to know, like, where that idea stemmed from and how you were able to formulate that into, you know, something that, like, makes tangible sense. I don't know. I was probably high when I wrote that. Um, <laughs> I love it. Sounds good. Wait, wait, Lu- Luca and I are weirdly, weirdly similar. Like, I don't really write, like, completely autobiographical characters, but there's lots of elements of myself in every character I write because I write writes true to myself. Um, and I definitely spent a lot of the beginning, of, well, at least the first, like, eight months when I was, you know, or, you know, five months, really, when I was in New York before I moved back to Boston just, you know, getting high in my apartment and writing plays. Um, so I think that just came from being high, um, but also just listening to a lot of music. And for me, like, even now, I think music sounds better when you're high because you can, like, actually, like, really, like, listen to the intricacies and, like, there's just, there's just something so lush about listening to music under the influence that just, like, enhances it i don't know i mean it's different for every person like i'm not gonna go say hey go do drugs like i mean i i only i only i only weed is the only thing i use it's just i just for me i i love listening to certain music high because it really enhances just the experience of it and just for me music is a universal language because every culture really has music every culture does i mean it's not really they do every culture has music and it's just that's how so many people communicate and share stories and just share their feelings and emotions and god i wish i just you know i think about how like it's 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 universal music is a universal language and like it's a way that we can share our thoughts about things going on in the world without having to be always completely like saying what it is actually straightforward just sort of it can be a very abstract way of looking at the world like I don't well, know, like, also- Chris Martin. Chris Martin probably said it better than me at some point, talking about their newest album, but, like, <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I also feel like what's what's so cool about music, too, is, like, there's no, no conversation more fun than a conversation, like, about music and, like, why it's so cool with other people. Yeah, like, that's I how love Katie lo- and I yes. became friends. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love yes. listening to music and being like, oh, my God, did you hear the way that they, like, they went from fortissimo, like, they had, like, this sforzando into the end and then, like... I can't read music. It's, it's just, like, I love, I love, like, having conversations with people where you yes. can just connect with something musically on whatever level that is. I mean, and, like... like- just get, just being able to like vibe and love it together, you know. I mean, that's what I think I love about the about the pandemic for me was that it really got me into the music fandom side of things and just getting to appreciate loving an artist with other people who also love this artist as much as you do and just sort of just talking about how we love specific things about certain songs or just specific things about the artist and how they perform or how they write. It's it's just so wonderful. It is such a unifying thing and the fact that music is what brings people together in this play in such a way. Yeah. It's just really special. I mean, that's not the only thing that brings people together in this play, because, I mean, we can talk about stuff. We can talk about other things in this play, too. Um, but yeah, the music element is something that I'm really, really proud of, and I definitely think the next play that I'm writing, whenever I get the motivation to start writing, is going to be a lot about music and music fans and music fandom, just because I feel like that's a side of the community I never really get to see in the theater. I mean, I'm so mad that Anna Nogaro, who is a genius, wrote uh, Which Way to the Stage before I could. <laughs> because I wanted to write a play about, you know, people stage dooring or doing a rush line, and I wanted to talk about that experience as, like, theater fans. But that play exists now, and it's awesome. 
and I have to write about something else now. Yeah, I, I think, like, I know for me, at least, like, making playlists when I'm writing and, like, mm-hmm. having, I like, I have a playlist for everything that I write because it's, <laughs> yes. like, you, you want to get into the headspace of it. And, yes. like, and, and you reference one of the greatest songs of the 21st century in, in this play, Zendaya is Michi. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. funny I include that reference because my friends who wrote something rotten wrote and directed Smallfoot so I'm like I also just love Zendaya Michi, but it's also a little nod to my friends I love that so much I that's another like YouTube video for when I'm sad is like Zendaya Michi. like it's just incredible um, that and the Raylo bit had me cackling because the disdain <laughs> I have for the Raylo fandom well not the fandom they're great but like the, the ship itself Star Wars fandom stresses me out it stresses just, me out Raylo too. is a toxic ship like no offense if y'all like them that that shit is really really toxic yeah no, I just I, I kept on saying to people because obviously like I ship um, Finn and Poe above Finn and, and Ray, but I was like, I mean, why I, can't I we don't, ship Ray yeah. with with someone who's nice to her? Like, why? I, I don't ship Ray with anybody. I'm like kind of in like the asexual lesbian like sort of Ray. I think if anything, like I think like Rose was probably the person I'd probably want to ship her the most with. But like at the same time, Ray is her own that. person, and she doesn't really need anybody. She can. She's just. She's just such a badass, and I love her. And yeah. it's, like, it's just, Kylo Ren is such a piss baby. <laughs> He's, that's the thing I'm like why why are we always shipping people with like other people who are mean to them like it, exactly. I, I understand enemies to lovers but I mean beneath under enemies to lovers is this like mutual understanding and mutual respect and yeah and know. there is no mutual respect in the in the Kylo Ren and Rey relationship None. He, he literally the first time he meets her he tortures her why do people ship that they don't like it I think I'm in that same like group in the Twilight fandom who's like okay Alice and Bella need to be together because they are nice to each other they have a healthy relationship yes. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean of course and also it's kristen stewart she doesn't need to be partnered with any men like no that's no. right and now she's getting no. married i'm I so know. happy I'm like, I so god the fa- i think the mo- one of the most on-brand things that's ever happened to me was the one time i did stand by for snl and got in was uh kristen stewart was the host and coldplay were the musical guests oh that's my incredible god, that's marvelous <laughs> i would literally yeah, just have a pansexual die. crisis because it's literally kristen stewart <laughs> and chris martin in the same building it's fine also you know kate mckinnon was still in the show then and like Eddie bryant was still in the show then and cecily strong was still in the show then so it's just all these beautiful beautiful humans and i'm like wow Oh my wow. gosh. That, that was that was the first time I saw Coldplay live in like seven years, I think. That was that was my third ever time seeing Coldplay perform, which is Was that when so she was funny there that... in that like plaid suit? Or was it when she was Maybe? in like the black leather dress? I'm very like outfit based. It, it was um it was in twenty nineteen. It was in twenty nineteen. I feel um, like it's probably the so plaid suit. She was there to promote Charlie's Angels. Okay. I feel like it was plaid suit. All of her press from that time is so yeah. good. <laughs> like, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Oh, love her. Oh, incredible. Incredible. And Spencer was absolutely incredible. Spencer, yeah. Good movie. God. Um, <sighs> uh, speaking of, of right names, now. but, like, yeah. I, I'm very curious about, you know, why you picked the names. You, did Luca come from Lucas Steele? A little bit, but also just it's a name I like. Um, it's just a name I like. I don't know. I love that. It's funny because I wrote this play and then Pixar came out with the movie. I'm like, that is no. 
no, y'all, it's like, I still haven't, like, really fully brought myself around to watch the movie because I'm like, y'all really stole my name. <laughs> I like, will I know say it's just it a is name. really good. It's a very, like, mm-hmm. it's probably my favorite Pixar movie to come out of okay. the last several years. It's really sweet. Have you seen Turning Red, though? Turning Red is the best Pixar oh, movie in I the past Turning five red. years. If you like Turning Red, you'll like Luca. Okay. <laughs> but the, okay, are we talking about just the names of, like, the other characters in general? Because, like... Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. so, like, my brain was just thinking about... I don't know, my name, I think I was playing, I was playing some Pokemon Sword and Shield at the time, and Nessa is the water type gym leader, and she's, she's also like a model, and like, she, she's just really pretty, and I was thinking about her when I was writing Nessa, and I'm like, oh no, they're basically the same, so whenever I replay those games, I'm like, oh no, that's just her. It's I love just that. Her. My like, brain I like literally like the way. I, Wicked, so I'm I'm glad it wasn't like Wicked. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't Nessa from Wicked. I, notoriously, my other play, um, my other full length play, uh, for Leonora Companions, which is very much about Oz stuff. Um, our Oz is a major plot point in that, and the main character Nora fucking hates the last twenty minutes of Wicked because it's not canon compliant. Um, <laughs> so I my thoughts on Wicked are I don't I, I like I love the score, but I don't like the book, and um, I think the Maguire is interesting, but it's not for me. Um, so I did not name Nessa after Nessa Rose. No, I love Nessa Rose though; she's good. But like, no, this is Nessa, the Pokemon trainer, and uh, Jody. I guess um, my brain was thinking about how. Even though, like, I'm not a big fan of her on, like, her, like, her, her doctor on Doctor Who. Like, I like Jodie Whittaker. I think she's cool. And also, she's a big old like, fan. Um, <laughs> if you've ever that. seen the video of her recording, like, Yellow for Charity and then Will and Johnny surprise her, it is the most wholesome thing. And honestly, I think I'd react the exact same if I was just singing Coldplay in my room and then Will and Johnny showed up. I mean, I've met Will and Johnny, so, like, I mean, I've met the whole band. It's just, like, her reaction is very wholesome. But Jodie Whittaker is just very cool and chill and kind of gives me that, like, maybe queer energy. I don't know, but um, especially because her, her doctor definitely, considering, even though I don't love the writing this era at all, like, the whole stuff with 13 and Yaz is very cute and, like, I don't know. That's just, I don't know. I was thinking about Jodie Whittaker, I guess. Um, but, yeah. That's As so I said, cool. it's all about awesome. the well-timed pop-, pop culture references. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so has there ever been, like, a specific piece of advice or anything like that that you've received regarding playwriting that has been your favorite or the most helpful, um, something that you would pass on to other playwrights? I mean, for me, I I write a lot. I mean, I mean, because what John Cariani has always said to me, which is just, you know, write what you know and be true to yourself. I mean, we take it from Shakespeare to that own self be true. Like, mm-hmm. I really think about that every day just as a writer. That's just who I am. I write about what's true to me. I don't feel comfortable writing about things I know I'm not qualified to write about. I, I write what I know, and that's what I like to do. And that's, I mean, it's what I love to do. So... That's, that's really what I take to heart. And I think all, I mean, of course, it's nice to like explore and go outside your comfort zone. Like with this play, like I had never like really like written anything like with like stage intimacy. And it's always something I wanted to try doing. And like when I saw Slave play, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the kind of really, really amazingly well handled, um, you know, intimacy direction and stuff that I've never seen on stage before. And I'm like, wow, I kind of want to write something that, like, requires that level of care and just in-depth. Yeah, so that was definitely, like, it's, it's great to, it's it's important to reach out of your comfort zone as a writer. Um, but also write what you know. And I'd say find a nice balance of both. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think what I love what you do with the intimacy is it it feels so natural to mm-hmm. the characters. Like it feels it feels very real and grounded. Mm-hmm. Um and it's not like sensationalized to any degree. Like it's so it's so based in character. Mm-hmm. that it really yeah. it really reads as like the i think the moment for me because i'm i'm demi so like for me yeah, me too yeah. me too and i i feel like you you capture that energy so well with the conversation between jody and nessa when they're talking about like their first time together and how they met and just like reminiscing on that mm-hmm. and that for me was both like obviously they've just come from a moment of physical intimacy but i think you captured the emotional intimacy that goes hand in hand with it really really well yeah, I mean, for me, writing this play, like, as someone who is, um, who is a polyamorous and someone who, like, really longs to see, like, healthy polyamory portrayed in the media, um, especially, like, you know, just writing these characters, like I said, like, they're all kind of elements of myself. It's just, I mean, I wanted to write it with such, like, with such care and just being like, yeah, I don't want to, like, over-sensitize this. I didn't want to write porn. Like, I, I would never, like, I mean, fan fiction is one thing, but like, even I haven't written fan fiction in years, and I never wrote, I never wrote smut. Like, I don't think I ever did. I wrote, like, very cute, fluffy, cracky things, but I never wrote, I, I never really wanted to write anything like that. Um, but with this, I was just like, I mean, it's a pretty, like, well-known thing that a lot of people over the pandemic were very touch-starved. I, myself, was deeply touch-starved, and I just, I was kind of tapping into that, like, pandemic era. We are longing for touch and connection and human touch and connection and just human interaction in any way. And, like, being alone for so much of the pandemic, it was, like, channeling, like, ah, yes, what would just, if I was, you know you know, in this real in, in this exact kind of situation. Right. How how would like I don't know, like what would my ideal be but in a way that is healthy and not over sensationalized? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I care well, about you know, I care about consent and I care about just, you know, everybody in a relationship being on good terms. Like I I mean relationship as a poly person, like relationships with multiple people can be tricky. Um but I mean I just wanted to make it in a way that is, you know, wholesome and idealized in, I mean, idealized in a good way, like, not, like, you know, sensationalized. Yeah. Absolutely. And there were so many moments, too, in this where I feel like you you really did such a great job of capturing, like, the tone of the pandemic. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like there was just, there was, there were such small things, you know, like, um, verbiage, like, you know, when this is all over and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, that, you know, it's, it feels so it feels like it was yesterday and yeah. it also is like crazy to think that like how naive we were yeah in thinking that it was all gonna be like this was gonna last you know six months tops yeah and by that point something's gotta be better for us to be able to like mm-hmm. live some kind of normal you know and here we are and things are still not normal and it's just it's just crazy yeah, things nuts. are you know, yeah. um, and yeah. I feel like that the it's... way that you were able to capture the tone of that was really something that stuck out to me as being a big, a big thing that like really transported me into this play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to capture like, I pretty much wrote it as like the first couple months of the pandemic were going on. It basically, I almost wrote it in real time. Um, it was just sort of like, I didn't plot out the play beforehand. It just sort of all came very organically. Like I always said, from, from, you know, from my head, like Athena out of the forehead of Zeus, I, I just sort of everything just sort of came very naturally and just built upon itself. And just as I was 
noticing what was going on in the real world while I was living in New York in my tiny apartment in Harlem, um, you know, in the beginning of 2020. Um, it was just sort of the energy I was trying to give off. It's like, ah, yes, haven't we all just been stuck in our apartments collecting stuff and missing other humans and yeah, yeah, retreating into the things that make us happy when we're alone, whatever that may be, whether it is personal intimacy or just listening to music or getting high right. or some combination of the three. Lord knows I've been. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if you've read this play, you know, in a while. I'm not sure how often you go back and read your work. Mm -hmm. um, but um, do you ever read it and, and get that feeling of being transported back in time? Every time I've seen, like, people do, like, you know, virtual readings of it, which has been a while since it's happened, but um, definitely, um, definitely always takes me back. Like, it is very much a snapshot of the first three or four months of this, yeah. this time, this era. Um, and this the age play of corona. has a companion piece as well. Um, yes. Could you tell us a little more about that? Uh, yes, so, um, well, I mean, if y'all don't want spoilers, whatever, I mean, the play's on, both plays are on New Play Exchange, um, but, um, the way that, uh, A Godful Smell Affair, I mean, kind of ends is, um, we see our, um, our, our neighbors, um, kind of, kind of starting a sort of, you know, thruple together in a very, you know, you know, nice, really organic, I think, way, I, um, and, I mean, it sort of ends on a cliffhanger, because we find out that, Jody's father, who has been, you know, kind of awful over the phone and just it's been very long distance and just not, you know, where wondering when she's going to come back because of travel lockdowns and not being able to really leave. Um, we find out that Jody's father has gotten COVID and um, but this was back when like COVID was, I mean, at this point, like COVID is still, you know, very much a thing and yeah. people are still dying from it. It's just so devastating um but at that point it was like we don't have a vaccine yet um you know vaccines hadn't been a really a thing yet or like you know they were still very much in the early testing phases my friend was on the trial for moderna um wow. so i got a lot of my like information about how they were handling that as the pandemic was going on the first year through him um so basically Jody's father, we find at the end of God of Welfare, has COVID and it's just, you know, it's kind of the first break in like, you know, they're finally like, our, our trio are happy. They're, they're, you know, they're settled. They're settling into this new normal. And then this sort of happens. And then I, I was like, yeah, no, it's a cliffhanger. I don't love ending plays on cliffhangers because I don't, I don't, sequels don't always work in theater. But I was like, mm, I mean, it's nice dramatic tension, I guess. I don't know. It's that era of, it's that era of uncertainty. Um, but then over election week, like everything that was going on at the end of 2020 was so wild. Yeah. And just that one week in general, My so God. much stuff happened that I was like, you know, I wonder how Jody and Nessa and Luca are feeling about this. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to check in on them, like, like old friends. And so I kind of wrote a companion piece that's, you know, catching up with them months later, um, that quite literally tracks the week of the election where, uh, Jody goes home to check on her dad who's in the hospital with Nessa and Luca. Um, and at this point, kind of the relationship dynamics have switched a little bit. I mean, they're still very much a thruple, but like some of the power dynamics are a little, little different. The closeness between different people is different because, you know, months, months of stuff changed. We find out what's happened to them over the past couple months. And, uh, 
it's just sort of about seeing about how Jody's family will react to this because we only really get to find out mostly about Jody's family life. Um, like Nessa and Luca's family life, like we're definitely hinted at or like, you know, Luca's is a lot more, Nessa's a little less, but, um, I just try to, you know, the trying because it means three people. So it's, you know, kind of balancing that. Uh, it is always a little tricky. Um, but I think, I think I did a fall. I think I did a fine job with like, the dynamics there but like just how they react to being out of the city and being back in the suburbs and dealing with covid there and just dealing with what's going on with the country because there's you know massive you know waves of everything because the election is going on and like they had just you know been in the city during during the black lives matter um marches and just everything that had been going on that spring and summer um, and how they lived through that. And so it's kind of seeing how they reacted to the rest of the year was just something I really wanted to do. Um, and election week, as I said, was absolutely crazy because obviously, you know, the whole, you know, getting the count, the vote count was crazy. But then on top oh of it, gosh, like it we had um, years. Yeah. I mean, it felt like really years did. and like, it felt like years. It, it, it felt like years. But on top of that, we also had the supernatural finale and uh, the whole thing with, with Putin. And like, there were just so many things. It was just, I was like, wow, I somehow have to want to include all of this in here. So I, I sort of did. And um, and Bowie's back too in some capacity. Um, won't say how, but uh, there's there's some, you know, there's always a little bit of magical realism in there because that's what I love to do. Um, but yeah, um, the the uh, companion piece, which is basically functions as an act three. Um, I'm really, really proud of it. And I mean, my ideal is that when people eventually do a god-awful small affair, they pair it with um, It's Confusing These Days and do it as, like, a double feature or, like... That's awesome. It's like, I, I, I just was like, you know what? I think that would be really cool if they did that. So, like, I kind of bill it as an act three, but it also works as a standalone because it's just sort of a... We get to know these characters, and we do get, like, a bit of a fill-in about what they did in the first play, but it, it does stand alone quite well. But I, I, I envision it as an act three um, or, you know, a companion piece if it's ever staged. Yeah, I it will be staged. I can't wait to see this live. Oh yeah, I, so, I will great. manifest yeah, so it excited. into the world that we get to oh, see this it's live. So bad. I know. With I say Lucas like steal in a perfect world. Please, no. Like I wish. Like I have not talked to him in so long. He just does not have social media, so I have no way of getting it to his agent. Lucas Steele's agent, if you're listening, please contact me. Yeah, buddy. Let's make this happen. Please. Um, so uh, sadly, this interview is coming to an end. I feel like we could talk about all things pop culture and plays for like another four hours. But um, I love that. I guess to finally like kind of encapsulate it, like what's the biggest thing that you hope people take from this play going forward? I with with these plays and affair in particular, I just hope that it just sort of makes people, as I say, like just think about like how we connect with others and however way that may be and just thinking about just the power of human connection and just how magical and wonderful it is to find people who love you for you and just love the weird stuff you do and love doing the weird stuff you do with you and just how we get through tough times together and how we cope with rough things and how we deal with people in our lives long distance or otherwise just how we make it through this insane world we call this era mm -hmm. 
just it's really just about loving human connection and finding that connection in whatever way makes you happiest whether it be you know as i say is it intimacy or music or weed or just whatever writing i mean writing is a major part of this too because jody's jody's a poet and the poetry is what kind of brings them together there's just so many layers and just whatever as i say whatever makes you happiest find the people who love doing that with you and spend your time with them i love that's that. amazing and where can our our listeners find you what cool stuff do you have coming up Fill us in. I wish I, yeah, <laughs> I wish I had stuff. cool stuff coming up. I don't really know what's going on with me right now. I just came back from London, so my brain's kind of like in a. I'm still recalibrating to being in the United States again because <laughs> I was in London for three weeks and I loved it so much. So hopefully, coming up in the next five or ten years, me going there for grad school, but who knows? Um, but you can find me. I mean, I'm on Twitter. It's at Haley St. James, H-A-Y-L-E-Y-S-T-J-A-M-E-S. Um, I am on a bit of a hiatus. I tend to go on hiatuses for my mental health. Um, but I'm on there. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on New Play Exchange. Um, please read and recommend my stuff. Um, it's been a while since I've updated uh, or posted anything or read anybody's stuff just because I've been so busy. Cause I was working pretty much nonstop for the past year um, almost. So... I love reading people's stuff. I would love if people read yours and my stuff. I mean, I'm just hoping my stuff gets done. I mean, if anybody out there is reading or is an agent or is, a, you know, wanting to produce some queer magical realism, I'm here and I would it. love to collab. I, yeah. I just, I think we need more weird queer shit in the world and that's what I'm here yes, to do. We always do. We always do. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Haley, for coming on the pod. Um, this, this is, is awesome. <laughs> this has been such a great conversation. Thank oh, you for everything. I love it. I love you guys. This is so great. I, I remember when we did this. Um, I believe you guys were there when we did the stuff at uh, the virtual uh, the virtual reading. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And James was such an incredible Bowie. I loved that. James. <laughs> James was such a good Bowie. Yes. Yes. And that was the night they actually did both plays back to back. Yes. Yes. Yep. I think that was the only time. And it's so wild because Avi, who was Luca, um, I've known Avi for a really long time because I used to go to, I went to elementary school through high school with their, uh, with their brother. Um, but I've always known Avi and Avi is just so wild having a childhood friend who sees so much of themselves in the role, ending up playing the role. It's crazy. I loved that. That was bananas. It's, it's funny, I say, like, I don't really perform much, um, but the one time I did end up playing Luca in a reading of this was um, kind of insane, and I loved doing that. Um, but I love seeing other people play my roles. I, I see too much of myself in my characters. It makes me very self-conscious. I want to see other people do it. <laughs> yeah, I have so many friends who I want to play Luca now. Like, it's just such a cool ah, character. And it's just, it's so, I, I really, I, these three, they really feel like friends. You yeah. know, like when you read characters and you're just like, oh, I want to hang out with you. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I want to write characters that people see themselves in, they see their friends in, they see people they know in. It's just, I want to write, you know, as I said, I want to write universal stories that are also about communities that deserve to be talked about because yeah, i mean yeah. all my characters 
I think every, all my characters are neurodivergent in some capacity. They're all queer. I am incapable of writing heterosexual people. Like, that's just not in my blood. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'll try someday, but it'll be... There's it's, plenty it's of good. them out there. Don't yeah, worry. There's too many. We don't, we don't need it, it, it is. It, yeah. So, I mean, I'm here to write the neurodivergence. I'm here to write the queerness. I'm here to write the everything. The polyamorous. The just everything. I'm just... Not everything, because as I say, I write what I know. So, um... Yeah. I'm just here to write about people who deserve to be written about. And I think everybody deserves to be written well, thank about. Thank you so but... much for sharing all of your wonderful wisdom with us um, oh, and for coming on this, this pod. And just, yeah, this was an awesome conversation. So. It's a pleasure. <laughs> and uh, hopefully so we'll have of... you back soon to talk about more plays. Cause... Exactly. Please. I exactly. would love nothing more. I, I love talking about work mine or otherwise i there's so many great plays out there i love talking about that i, I think mean we haven't been we haven't done almost main yet so i'm like that's right oh my god we haven't done almost oh main my yet. god I'm if like y'all need three. me to talk about almost main for an hour <laughs> i'm your boy <laughs> perfect <laughs> Alrighty, well, um, to all of our lovely listeners, thank you so much. Um, please remember to uh, give us a rating and review on your podcasting uh, platform of choice. We love hearing from you, and it helps other listeners find our show. Um, you can also check us out on the Wisdom app, um, an app for uh, podcasting and listening to all new uh, podcasting material. Um, so go check us out there. Follow us on socials, and as always, we will see you next next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Playdate. You can follow us on Instagram at playdate.podcast for updates, giveaways, and more fun stuff. Our cover art was designed by Levi Denton Hughes. Our sound engineer is Terry Peters. Our PR manager is Noel Kreitz. And our theme music was composed and recorded by Mickey Wadsworth. I'm Kate. And I'm Julia. Keep, Keep playing. playing.